0: When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad, they all vanquish in your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete, the planner show
1: Some bills yo,
2: we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete the dot com, at ask Pete at and here's what happens. Like several things can happen. Well, number one. I might answer your, your 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 question here on this show. Number two, I might write about it in my USA Today column, which is what I did this morning because my editor yesterday said, hey, Pete, we need a column tomorrow. Can you give it to us? And then I said some words that I didn't type back to him. And then I said, sure, okay, I'm going to push over. And I wrote that column this morning and I answered someone's question that emailed com. Joining us because Damien is on vacation is Gold Star Gale, a member of the Hey Money and Your Moneyline team, joining us from Austin, Texas. Welcome back to the show, Gold Star Gale.
3: Hi, Pete. Thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be here.
2: Well, I sort of said, hey, you got to be on the show. So you really didn't have a choice, <laughs> but uh, no, no, that's not true. You, of course, had a choice and you graciously accepted. Gale, let's dive right in. We've got uh, lots of questions this week. This one, this one's a good one. I've, this feels to me like the sort of cases you get at your money line that you get at Hey Money. And so let's dig in. Hello, Pete. I'd like to have your insight into my present financial station. The worst person uses the word station, not situation, but I kind of like financial station.
3: Yeah. Works for me. I like it. It's different.
2: Doesn't it sound like there's a? It's a strip mall uh, payday lender called like the Money Station. There has to be something like that, right? I hadn't thought about that.
3: I was thinking it sounds real formal.
2: It does. Station. I, I'm 65 years old. I don't work because of a disability. My Social Security disability is net eighteen hundred dollars per month, and my liquid savings is four hundred and forty four thousand dollars, which consists of a money market of one hundred and fifty nine thousand an IRA of $24,000, and a 401k with $130,000. The long-term disability payment from my former employer is $4,000 a month tax-free and ends next year, October 21, uh, 2021. I save that entire amount each month, and my bills are only $1,650 a month, $1,650 a month, including my rental apartment of $900 a month, My home was recently purchased inside six months, and it's worth $250,000. The home is now rented, covering my mortgage, including taxes and insurance. In terms of retirement plan, what can I do to maximize financials before I actually start collecting an income? Which at the earliest is hopefully November of 2021. Man, I hope we all make it to November of 2021. That was a little... Morose, but anyway, uh, if I can extend that further, I'm fine too. Please advise at your earliest convenience, stay safe during these trying times. Wow, that's so kind. Gail, nice. the impact of disability coverage through your employer is huge. 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 Ouch. I mean, yeah. t- tax-free is the, is the big element here. A lot of people don't realize that uh, when done properly, that disability uh, coverage is income tax-free because
3: of how it's set up right and it's significant i mean he's able to save all of that money which is incredible there's so many things in this in this question that are really great i think and um there's a lot going on but the the tax-free pension or tax-free uh disability is huge i, I work with some other folks who have have this as well and it's really impressive how if, if you're wise enough to buy it and you turns out you need it, it's something that pays off in spades.
2: Now, this is a, also an interesting situation, which I, we see from time to time. The person is a renter, yet they own a property that they rent out to someone else. I think that's fascinating. Do you see that a lot? I, I think it's sort of a, a a rare move, which can make a lot of sense for people. Is that something you, you see on a regular basis?
3: No, actually, it's, I don't see much of this at all. We've seen people who are um starting to go into being landlords so they own their primary residence and then they'll buy something else and rent that but i haven't seen many of these where someone's renting and then um owning a home that they're renting out as well so this is this is rare
2: do you feel like that they should this person should do anything different than they're doing now because to me they're living below their income which is right. key number 1 they've got an amazing nest egg all things considered and they've got this rental property which is an asset on top of that i don't know if it ain't broke don't fix it i i i'm having a hard time uh, telling them to do anything other than what they're doing
3: yeah I, I when i read through it i'm like this person doesn't even have to touch their retirement income you know they can live when the disability turns into regular social security it will stay at 1800 yeah. Um, so they're able to live within their means, which is great. Um, the the only thing that I had a question about on their pro- property was, we don't know. You know, it's not specified if it's a thirty or fifteen year mortgage. We don't know how much it covers. Um, will there be issues with maintenance? Will they Will they reap the rewards of the equity? That's that's something that I'd like to learn more about.
2: That's a really good point, and and. It brings up a very serious situation. If this disability has to happens to be a debilitating disability where quality of life declines over time, being a landlord generally is not advisable in that situation unless you have a property company or someone running that situation. Gail, whether someone has a disability or, or not, a debilitating disability or not, We do see that from time to time is that people don't have a plan to divest themselves from their rental properties as they age.
3: That's true. And trying to figure out what you're going to do with that, you know, when you can't take care of it. Um, I've worked with one or two couples who, as they're aging, they're turning their rental properties over to their children. So that's, that tends to be the case. But if you don't have a, a natural succession line to turn that over to, you do have to make those plans
2: yeah from an asset perspective, she said she had for he or she i don't know them yeah' uh, I don't it's sort know. of non gender specific uh four hundred and forty four thousand which is you know lovingly uh very specific I would say that could generate i don't know what what's the math on that for you i I'd say what thirteen thousand dollars a year of income or so conservatively,
3: yeah, something like that's what I came up with um I was a little confused on the numbers in terms of how much of it is like in the money market. Well, it says how much is in the 401k, but there's some money not accounted for. But it seems very conservative to me. Might be able to, you know, invest that money and do a little bit better as well.
2: Yeah, I think what's really interesting in these situations, I I call these the Michael Jackson situation, but I'm going to regret saying this. But (laughs) my feeling was in the 1980s, during when the Thriller album came out all Michael Jackson had to do is just not lose his mind and, and, and do horrible things because he was the most popular person in the world. So what did he do? He did horrible things and, it, and they ruined everything and ruined people's lives. That's all he had to do from a financial perspective. If things are fine, like all you have to do is not mess up at this point. And this person has a pretty good uh, example of this is that, uh, Maybe they don't need to take any more risk. I'm a big fan personally even though my hairline is deceiving. I'm a younger fella. I think you shouldn't take any more risk than you have to take in order to accomplish your financial goal. I'm not sure. Look, yes, 100% probably too conservative all things considered, but you know that comfort zone thing as you age and and you've just dealt with a disability for a number of years, maybe that comfort in a That's conservative true. portfolio is the better way to go.
3: Yeah, I, that's a really good point. Um, and whatever you're comfortable with, because that's the most important thing is you have to be comfortable with the risk. And and this person he she doesn't need this money to grow necessarily. So uh, I would I yeah I, I take the back. I, yeah, I would agree with you, Pete. No,
2: it's all right. You see, the, <laughs> you know how the show works. Damien disagrees with me most of the time, which is why he's on a uh, mandatory vacation this week. <laughs> I just like to think he's suspended, and that's the deal. All right, Gail, here's what we're going to do coming up after the break. Uh, we got more money questions. We, we're on Facebook Live right now, too, and we have some coming in. So maybe we'll switch to those and just, you know, well, who knows? Uh, back after this, I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show.
0: When you've only so much income and so many bills, and your problems are so bad, they are vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close, there's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs. The planner show
2: back on the pete the planner show answering your money questions you can you can get to us a number of ways number one uh, noon eastern on fridays we uh, record this live on facebook at the pete the planner facebook page so you can you know jump in and chat with us there as people do every week you can email me ask pete at pete the com, or you could hire a skywriter in like a plane to fly over my home with your question although i'll probably inside uh working so i'm not going to see it all right gold star Gale is sitting in for dame this week colleague of queen of the desert Kristen. uh what's it like you have to work with the queen of the desert how much of an honor is that it's huge huge honor we have she, great fun together she's a big deal so all right here's the next question now this one's a little longer there's a lot of details so everyone prepare for uh, uh question theater here yes Hi, saw your article. I'm going to get your advice. I'm hoping to get your advice. I'm turning 52 and make $10,000 a month gross in a government job. My husband, wow, that's a good government job. Sure is. I need to get one of those. (laughs) My husband is 53 and makes about $6,500 a month. See, when I'm I would never say $6.5000 a month. I'm not judging this person. It's just weird how people communicate, right? Would you ever say 6.5000 a no. month? I <laughs> know. That's all right. I'm thinking of retiring at 55 and at that age I will get about 50% of my highest salary with cost of living increases. I can access my 457b at any age of retirement without tax penalty. That's essentially everybody like a government 401k for those wondering. My husband and I will also immediately upon retirement get lifetime free medical benefits. Gail, I'm in the wrong line of work.
3: Right? These benefits, pretty nice.
2: (laughs) I have 30 years of service, but due to age only being 55, there's a considerable jump on my pension if I retire in my early 60s. I get 70 to 80% of my highest income. My biggest expense right now is paying my son's tuition and dorm so he could not so he does not need to take out a loan. I expect my youngest to have finished college when I'm 55, and my expenses would then likely drop to 3000 to $4,000 a month, including mortgage payments, if I don't pay it off then. I have 10 more years left on the loan with 3.25 interest, although I'm adding $100 to $200 extra a month. My husband may work longer, perhaps at 62 if needed, although he'd prefer to join me in retirement as soon as financially possible. In addition to Social Security, he will also get at least $1.6,000 pension upon retirement at 55 and more if later. His income of $2,000 mostly pays for our utilities, car insurance, and Carly's payments for our boys through his work benefits, which we expect to drop off uh, once our boys are on their own and we purchase cars before retiring. Between us, we now have around nine hundred thousand in four hundred one ks and four fifty sevens, and our only debt is a hundred and ten thousand dollars mortgage balance on a house worth seven hundred thousand dollars. I'm contributing total of twelve thousand dollars to my four hundred one k and four fifty seven with a hundred percent match up to eight percent of my salary contributions. My hub has been contribute six percent with sixty six percent employer match. Wow. We want to stay in Southern California, and my, I may either volunteer or find a new career. I enjoy that uh, may even provide some small income. Am I okay to retire at 55, or am I giving up too much for not working longer? In that case, what do you suggest? I'm going to stop reading because that's a lot.
3: That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of data.
2: You know what? Uh, on, on Facebook, someone just pointed out, Facebook Live, 6.5K or 6,500 is often a Britishism.
3: Oh, maybe they're British.
2: You know, I thought or- about this earlier this week. Um, my favorite British pronunciation of anything is the word aluminum,
3: pronounced oh, oh,
2: yeah. by someone in Europe. Aluminium. <laughs> <Yeah>, that's right. <laughs> ale, or- ale, yeah.
3: Or schedule, something like that, schedule. schedules. <laughs> so
2: do you think this person can retire and be able to afford, in you know, trips to the grocery store still, things like all uh, aluminum foil? I mean, can this person still retire, or do you think they should wait?
3: I, uh, just to net it all out, I, I think they could find a way for her to retire, not both of them immediately, but I think if she could work a little bit longer after the son um, graduates and the boys are off the payroll, and pay off their ho- house because they could pay off their house pretty quickly. And then they could both retire um, and enjoy their life. Uh, but she she wants to do other things. And that's really important because it's not always about the money.
2: See, that's that's the point of this whole thing. You, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, retirement is, I don't know, 50% money, 50% yeah. figuring out what in the world you're going to do. And a lot of people, Gail, having helped people retire for years, a lot of people think retirement's just going to be like this extended vacation. Right. You know, when you take a week off of work and you get some stuff down or done around the house. It is not that. It is a completely different stage of life, just like having kids, just like getting married, just like any of those things. What have you seen from, you know, friends or or people you've helped that that don't have that? retirement plan from a non-financial standpoint going into retirement, what is the impact of that?
3: Um, it's sort of like, what do I do now if they don't have a plan? Uh, I, I know some people that had um, government jobs and they were able to retire really early, like 48, 50 years old and have a pension. So they just turn around and got another full-time job doing something completely different. Um, so they could double up their retirement or double up their income. But I've, I'm seeing more and more people who have a definite plan of what they want to do. They want to travel, they want to enjoy life. Um, and and not expensive things necessarily, but they also want to volunteer, like like this woman here, do something that feels really good, which is very nice to hear.
2: Yeah. So I think not sometimes Dame and I always talk about you can tell how the email is written as to whether you actually trust the person's judgment altogether. Yeah. Like, this is one of those emails I'm like, whatever they do, they're going to be fine because these people have really good judgment. Um, and they've
3: done well, you know, they're, they live in Southern California and almost have their house paid off where it's very, very expensive.
2: You know, uh, you know, after the break in the next segment, we're actually going to talk about cost of living and what it is to be in the middle or upper class from an income perspective in different areas of the country. I have to admit when I saw that element of this question, the old S Cali, uh, I thought, wow, that throws a little bit of a wrench into the spokes here. However, Gail, like you said, their house is nearly paid off. What is it, what is expensive about Southern California is housing primarily. So they've sort of slayed that dragon. I, I would tell these people just like you, get your kids truly off the payroll. Not, not well, they're graduating from college. No, 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 no. Right that doesn't do it. You have, they have to have established their own means of making a living before you can objectively say, Hey, we can move on. Right. We can move on. So yeah, I would, I would say maybe wait. I think they could probably muscle it out and get it done at 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they could. She's only 52. I guess, Gail, what they could do is over the next three years is just grind and just grind.
3: They could, they could, or, or, yeah, they could grind or once the schooling is finished take that 3 to 4,000 and apply that to their house. I mean, if they want to go into retirement house house debt free. But they've got some options for sure.
2: Isn't this also a case of why amazing benefits really matter? Oh
3: my gosh, yeah, they don't have to worry about their medical, which is one of the large or the most likely the largest expense in retirement.
2: Yeah, especially once they're uh once their house is paid off, I mean that would be that would be huge. Now let's say we're doing the same situation and medical wasn't a part of it; it's almost a straight up no.
3: Right? Yeah, it's just too much. It'd be too tight.
2: Man, I, we've had a lot of government workers, uh, you know, talk to us about their financial situations on this show and different formats over the years, and time and time again that ability to retire at 55 by putting in three decades of work and then having all of these benefits is just absolutely wonderful. All right, Gail, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break and then coming back, we're going to talk about cost of living in different places across the country. What income levels makes a person, upper class, middle class? I don't like the phrase lower class, but we're going to use it anyway. I'm Pete, the planner, and this is the show.
0: When you've only so much income and so many bills, and your problems are so bad, they all vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close, there's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show.
2: Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, hopefully, on Fridays at noon Eastern, you head on over to Facebook, the Pete the Planner page, and you can watch us record this show live and participate in the show. As so many people do this week, joining me because our good friend Damien is on vacation, is his colleague, our inspiration, Gold Star Gale from Austin, Texas. Hello, Gold Star Gail.
3: Hello, Pete. Hi, everybody.
2: Oh, that's nice. All right. So, Gail, uh, earlier uh, yesterday, maybe I found this article on CNBC, which, you know, I got to be honest, I don't love their personal finance articles uh, most of the time, but I actually kind of like this one because it's just sort of fun to play with. The headline is, are you in the American middle class? Find out with our income calculator. About half of U.S. adults lived in middle income households in 2018, according to a new Pew Research Center analysis of government data. Roughly three in 10 were in lower income households and 19% were in upper income households. And then they have a calculator that lets you see what, what you are. Now, Gail, Although this is interesting, I, it is sort of pointless. Maybe other than to make yourself feel good or bad. Like, is there anything that can be gleaned from this information?
3: I think the I think the interesting thing in this calculator is how where you live so heavily affects your life, and and they point that out because that's one of the factors in this calculator is the cost of living where you live, and. To me, that's the most interesting, other than it's an interesting statistic and how are we doing as a country over time, uh, for the individual, to me, it's more of if I opted to choose a different place to live, it could change my standard of living significantly.
2: And you have lived a couple different places. You were out in North Carolina not too long ago, and and you had to make a decision where to go, and, and you went to an amazing place in Austin, Texas. And how much did that play into that decision when you made it?
3: Um. Not a whole lot because they're, they're, they're fairly equal, but the big difference was taxes um, because prop- the property tax and the state taxes are so different, but it kind of comes out in the wash. But I have lived in California. I've lived in the Washington, D.C. area. And when I was in the D.C. area and moved to a different place in Texas, this is long ago, it was a huge difference. It, it, yeah, it was like night and day in terms of uh, standard of living.
2: So based on household income, we're going to run a few scenarios. If you're watching along on Facebook Live right now, which if you're listening to the recording of the show on the weekend or the week of the uh, 27th, well, don't go to Facebook now. uh, We're going to pick Indianapolis area, and we're going to say a person has a household of four people. They make $75,000 as a household. And Gail, what we know is if a person makes $75,000 as a household in Indianapolis. That puts them in the middle class with 55% of other people in that situation. Now, let's take that same income and compare it to Southern California, Uh. where our last emailer lives. Let's go ahead and pick LA, Long Beach, Anaheim area. And that $75,000, you know what? Oddly enough, it still keeps them in the middle class along with 49% of people, which is a little surprising if I'm being honest.
3: I was a little surprised too. I ran some different numbers with this calculator last night and I was surprised there wasn't more difference um, between like San Francisco and, um, well, Texas. And to look at those differences, that was a little surprising.
2: Let's try New York City.
3: New York City.
2: uh, It still puts you in the middle at about 49%. That's really, let's try a different number. Let's try to, let's go $150,000 and see how that plays through different cities. All right, $150,000 in New York City as a household income puts you in the middle class. That's, that's you know, I, I guess kind of good news maybe. That means you're not in the yeah. lower class there. Uh, Indiana and let's go Indianapolis for $150,000. What do you think? I'm going to say this is going to be upper class.
3: That's what I think.
2: Middle class.
3: Really? Yes. That's surprising. What if we put... What if you put, um, where, let's see, Texas, Dallas.
2: <laughs> okay, Dallas, Texas. Okay, $150,000. Probably made from oil money. Let's be honest.
3: Right.
2: C- cattle or oil money. All right, Dallas, Texas, everybody. Fun with calculators here on the Pete the Planner show this week. Gold star Gail joining 150000 makes you middle class.
3: Wow, that surprises me. It
2: does surprise me too. Now, Gail, I, I have to admit... Again, this is sort of interesting to compare metro areas, but I find the whole idea of of, uh, classifying people as upper class or middle class or lower class. I don't know why, but it always feels like a pejorative to me. Does it feel that way to you?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't like it. I don't like
2: it either because it makes people feel like their worth is their financial standing. Because class, you know, class means a few different things, but it 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 harkens back to when you learn about the Renaissance. You you learn about different periods in history, and there's like the you know the feudal system and different classes, and it and it it rings sort of hollow, frankly.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I'm not crazy about it at all. I don't like the word class. <laughs>
2: I don't, I don't either. <laughs> you know, I did. Uh, there was something interesting. I was on this event for young Indiana um, sort of uh, tech industry people this week. Uh, people that you know if you're in tech and you're good with uh, all things tech and, and uh, software and those sorts of things you can sort of write your ticket anywhere in this country i mean you can find a job in any city it's just a very hot job market and the appeal to make you know money in the midwest for instance as opposed to go get a tech job on the coast uh where the the cost of living is higher Look, I mean, I, I'm as biased as anyone's going to get because I love living in the Midwest because it's, it's inexpensive and friendly. But if you can pick your place to live and you can live high on the hog or you can live being able to afford less, I just don't understand why people don't choose to live in a place where they can do more things.
3: Yeah, I think it comes down to maybe opportunity. They maybe feel like there's more opportunity or they want to be where it's happening um, I mean, I know that's a big draw in the Silicon Valley area is that's where it's all happening, but it's, I know a lot's happening here in Austin too. So, and the cost see of that, living is much cheaper.
2: <laughs> see, that's the ultimate argument. Places like Austin or Nashville or, or arguably Indianapolis, right? Where mm-hmm. you can, there's a lot of things to do. Of course, we all know there's nothing you can do anywhere right now. We all live virtual lives. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, too, uh, if you can, if you, if you can work remotely to get hired in one of those other cities, those, uh, those more expensive cities, yet to work physically in a different location, then you're sort of getting coastal money in a non-coastal city. And that's right. a really great thing to do that we see people do from time to time.
3: Yeah, and that's definitely a trend that's happening since COVID started.
2: Yeah. So what do you, uh, to switch gears a little bit as it relates to COVID and, and the economy, and, and I'm not going to hold you to your prediction here. Do you think, how long do you think before we get back down into single digit unemployment? I mean, I, if, oh. if I, I, will, I will set the marker here. I think we're at, at least eight to nine months at the, mm-hmm. at the very least. Where do you think?
3: Uh, well, for sure, after the new year, um, I would be surprised if it happened before spring. I think the vaccine development is going to be key because we're not we're just we haven't proven to be very good at following what needs to be done to lower it.
2: I agree. And and then, you you know, I read a story this morning that the University of Wisconsin, um, they said if they don't have a football season this year, that will cost the University of Wisconsin one hundred million dollars. Oh, my gosh. And so you hear things like that. And wow. you think of all the people employed within that system and then all of the secondary and tertiary industries supported by that amount of cash flow.
3: Wow. And that's,
2: yeah, that's where this gets really scary because it, if they don't have a season, then they're not going to have a season till the fall of 2021. And that's why I think unemployment can stretch on longer than most people think.
3: I think so too. And then there's uh, the, the entire hospitality industry. Uh, that's, oh, that's I don't know what how that's going to recover. It's going to be a long time.
2: I agree. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a brief break. We're going to uh, come back with biggest waste of money of the week, which is a user submission on Twitter this morning. So I will give that to you and then some current events. Gold star Gale sitting in for Damian Don as he is on vacation this week. I'm Peter Don, Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner show.
0: When you've only so much income and so many bills, and your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close, there's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show.
2: This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, is the Hodden Key eight day travel clock. One of our favorite horological creations from the past brought back to life as a design object for today. Okay, so Gail, have you ever heard of an eight-day travel clock And its Mm. significance? Nope, (laughs) this is a new one. Nor had I. We're rolling a little video here for the Facebook Live people. Let me say, I'm now rolling video in the show. I feel like I'm sort of a big deal here. You can get a job as a producer, Pete. I I feel like I could. Um, (laughs) So here's the thing. It's an eight-day travel clock. I don't know wh- what it does, but I'm I'm familiar with the concept of time. And I happen to travel a lot, or I used to travel a lot. Gail, this travel clock is $5,900, and it looks like just a little travel alarm clock that you would buy at Target or Walmart and then just forget in your hotel room.
3: Oh, my gosh. Why is it five? Is, why? So much I think money. it's...
2: I think it's made of unicorns or something. I don't know. I'm not quite (laughs) sure, but that is this week's biggest waste of money of the week. Uh, I sincerely appreciate the user who submitted that particular piece. Other current events this week, Gail, we we were teasing during the break here. People are flipping out because there's no cash in the world anymore. It seems like, or at least the United States, there's a shortage on coinage. Mm -hmm. Uh, People think that our cash system is going to completely collapse. Um, and you made a really good point. This is a big deal for people who don't have checking accounts.
3: Right. For those, that segment of the population who can't get a checking account and rely on cash, this is, this will be a big deal. This is a big deal for them. But for everyone else who uses their debit cards or their credit cards, it's not, I I don't see it as a big deal unless I'm missing something.
2: All right. So I have to say something that's going to seem slightly petty, not to you, of course. Um, (laughs) But if, if if this seems petty, then you know why it's petty. If it doesn't seem petty, then don't worry about it, anybody. There's been a certain movement to say that the absence of cash is bad because it will cut down on people's ability to earn money via odd jobs, which which pay in cash. And Gail, I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. but But that argument, isn't it saying that tax evasions. Okay.
3: Yes, that is what it is saying. Right. R- right. Right. I, and so there's like a big, um,
2: national public popular movement from a, uh, a, a financial organization that's saying that's why this is bad. And I'm thinking, well, that's tax evasion. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying I haven't made 20 bucks mowing someone's grass in my life and and didn't pay taxes on it because I certainly did when I was a kid but but I don't know that seems like a weird
3: argument. I think it's a very bizarre argument because yeah, you're supposed to report those earnings. Although I think there are way more people who do this under the table stuff than you know, than we even can imagine.
2: That's true. All right. So, second stimulus check proposals. Yeah.
3: Ooh.
2: Okay. All right. So, Gail, I think crystal ball time. <laughs> there's a fifty percent chance a deal does not get done by next Friday.
3: Right. Well, the Senate's not rolling theirs, or the Republican Senate plan isn't even coming out till Monday. I think is the latest.
2: Yeah, so f- the good for the GOP for saying the payroll tax cut is a non-starter. It's not going to happen because, very frankly, that that's not going to help anyone who actually needs help.
3: Exactly. Yep.
2: Uh, so that's a good thing. Um, now, I think the major issues are going to be: will the unemployment enhancement of six hundred dollars a week? Will it? How much will it shrink? Because it's not going to be six hundred dollars a week. One proposal, Gail says, a hundred bucks. Another says two hundred. Another one says 70% of previous income, but how in the world are they going to figure that
3: thing out? Right. I mean, we could barely get these checks out. That, that one seems like a little bit of a disaster to me to try and do that kind of calculation. It's a really good point
2: because maybe on the surface it's a really smart idea, but it's all, anytime the government gets involved, it's about execution. And there's no way they can uh, mm-hmm. execute that well.
3: No, I don't think so. They're going to have to just have a flat amount. It seems to me to be able to do it. The states' unemployment systems aren't set up to handle this.
2: And fl- people in Florida uh, still uh, haven't gotten the money due them through this program. Some people in Florida, because right. their system is a disaster. And the other weird thing is, and I read this about two weeks ago, Florida laid off like a thousand people in workforce development department like 2 weeks ago and these are the people that process these claims that weren't even going out
3: wow i didn't hear that that's that's kind of crazy
2: okay so i do think it's likely that stimulus checks go to fewer people would you agree with that or do you see it differently
3: i think i think that will be the case and i do think they might be able to get them out by the end of august like they're shooting for but by the you know the very the end of august
2: the skin of their teeth. Um, Okay. Here's where I lack clarity and I'm hoping you can help me. Do you think that the next round of payments for the people who do get them will be larger than the first round or do you think they'll be smaller or do you think they'll be the same?
3: I think they're going to be about the same. I mean, some of the proposals they're talking about. Yeah, I think the same or smaller. I don't really know because they're there's so many different proposals that span the gamut from twelve hundred to less than twelve hundred to you know couple thousand dollars. So I, I think maybe about the same. Yeah, I you think, think so
2: too. Yeah, I think so too. I think early on when the um, House Democrats proposed, actually passed the Heroes Act, mm-hmm. their their goal was to get a ton of money, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into each household. Um, but I, I just don't see that happening now. One of the stranger things that I don't think is going to you know, make it off the ground, which is funny once you hear what it is, is a $4,000 travel tax credit for Americans.
3: That's a crazy one. I, I was reading about that one as well, because it's great to encourage people to do things, but that kind of flies in the face of logic of staying safe with COVID at the same time.
2: You know, I was thinking about this this morning because I have friends that own restaurants and bars and sorts of things. And like... I don't want anyone to go to a bar right now mm-hmm. because I w- I, because there, there is evidence that that is the worst thing you can do, the mm-hmm. worst thing you can do for the spread of COVID. Yet, in telling people, and I would, I'm not going to – this is not my recommendation to you, public, because it's not for me to say don't go to a bar. However, if I did say that, don't go to a bar, I'm basically shutting down that wow. business and hurting those people. It's just like, hey, don't fly on an airplane. And now I've just hurt the travel industry.
3: It's so complicated. It, we are in a terrible place right now because, yeah, I, I know people who have small businesses too. Uh, I'm someone who just opened a business and already had to shut it back down. You want everyone to stay safe, but what about all of our small businesses? There's, it seems to, we're having a hard time finding the median um, point of how to keep businesses open and stay safe.
2: I keep thinking if this was a disaster movie, because I do love a good disaster. I (laughs) used to love disaster movies. Now that we're in one, I never actually, I don't want to watch them anymore. But if you watch Contagion or Outbreak, there there was a lot of similarities to what has happened here. But what those movies don't cover because it's boring, yet it's awful, is exactly what we're talking about. The idea that if you say, hey, shut down dog groomers, then you got a bunch of furry animals running around. and. And those people are out of business. That's true.
3: We can't have furry animals running around un. Unclipped. You really can't, <laughs> especially where
2: I live. If you have an unclothed dog, I mean, you're going to get a ticket around here.
3: That's, but you're you're right. I mean, what the we, the we have to find a way to keep our businesses going because so I mean that's like that's America's small business.
2: I I am thankful that as an organization, we have the opportunity to all work from home. And I know that that is a luxury and a privilege and uh, uh, like a fortuitous stroke of luck. But I just, frankly, as the uh, one of the leaders of our organization, I just don't want to take the risk to uh, inconvenience anyone's uh, life or their families or anything.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful that we get to work from home and you have that attitude, Pete, because I'll tell you, I go out once every 10 days. That is it.
2: (laughs) This is all we have for you this week. Gold Star Gale, thank you for being here. I'm sending you the rest good vibes because the good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show.
1: Steady planning, steady trying to make it better for the fam so one day we can chill. Riding cattle like the veil. but it's used high miles on it. Pay the note every month on time, keeping people off my phone. I'm just talking like we family. No shame in my work, just doing what I can with the plan to have something for a seed when I have one. Have a little fun at the stage, kick could On the 1200s blending and jamming This is who I am, the professor and the hustler Wide awake, working in the school Hope the kids invest in an education It might change your situation Call it conscious if you want, I call it real life Want to see us all right, uptight and out of sight This is for the people, and this is for the people And this is for the people, and this is for the people Right on, right on, right on, right on, right on better so we can all live better however i know it's a struggle but i know we can make it if we try Keep your head up to the sky get your thing together Quit with the front and in the club with the outfit on that you really can't afford and that because you're trying to keep up but you're really losing the pain is gaining on you ain't no sense in pretending if you need help let somebody know Instead of drifting And swept out By the undertow Pay it forward Spread love Gotta help each other Out this hole Stay strong In the peace Of your soul Some of y'all Won't hear me though Too engulfed In the time Foolery Just some empty drones Some of y'all Would rather switch Than fight This much I know But not I Some of us Would rather press on Up to the sky This is for the people And this is for the people And this is for the people And this is for the people Right on, right on, right on, right on, right on, right on. for the people uh-huh. right on right on right on right on right ride on right ride on ride on. Yeah. yeah what they say united we stand divided we fall it's <laughs> for the people right here ATFU ATF, ATF, ATF. all together for us understand mm-hmm. just gonna ride out to this one it's mm-hmm. for the people